0: This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with friends of the earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning. Hey, how are you this morning? Keeping warm, keeping dry. Dirt Radio, that's us. John's here with you until 11 o'clock. We're here every Monday, 10.30 to 11. And uh, we are sponsored by Friends of the Earth, of course. And uh, you can find them online at uh, www.fo.org.au. Lots going on there. Uh, Well pretty much all the time and uh you can get around to smith street where they are and check them out or better yet um find out what's going on and give them a call and see if you can get yourself involved it's been a very big week and uh lots lots and lots going on uh, the currently the um The Adani mine uh, has been uh, postponed, I guess you could say, from, I guess, from a legal point of view. Just reading in the paper this morning, George Brandis is very concerned that the law isn't really doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is allowing the miners to go ahead and build big, big mines and do all kinds of nasty things. And uh, that's uh, what he wants to do. He wants to basically change the law. If he doesn't like what the courts decide he decides that uh well we got to change the law so uh look out for some more fighting along the way i think we've got a uh someone on the line hello are you there maybe not maybe not hello yeah hi hi are you there yes i'm helen hi helen hi. let me introduce you and uh start by saying there is another David and Goliath environment battle underway, and this time it's west of Ballarat. On the one side, we've got Vic Roads wanting to do what they like to do best, which is build a road. And on the other side, there's members of a local community who are saying that building the road means hacking out old-growth gum trees classified with very high conservation Significance, and so far, nine hundred of these trees have been cut down. Wham, Western Highway Alternative mindset is a community group confronting Vic Roads juggernaut, and Helen Lewers is Wham's spokesperson. I've got her on Dirt Radio this morning to explain what's been going on. Hello, Helen. Hi. How are you doing?
1: Good I'm good. Yeah.
0: Good. Listen, just to give us a little bit of an idea how all of this started and uh, give us a bit of background.
1: Well, unfortunately, a lot of people in the bigger regional centre, which is Ballarat, didn't know what was planned for a variety of reasons. Some of the locals knew. Um, That's an aspect of this schmozzle really, that needs to be investigated because the community should have been adequately consulted. But... As it happened, a lot of people didn't realise until huge numbers of very large old trees were being cut down about a year ago and they were left on the side of the road just where they were because it was too wet and boggy to take them out and as you and your listeners would know, um, authorities like to get rid of the evidence very quickly so if it wasn't for the bogginess of the ground, um, people might not have known as quickly as they did at that time Of course, it was too late then because the planning approval had been made. The EES process had been signed, sealed and delivered and there was nothing that locals could do to bring that stage back. That was was gone. And so the locals had to just do whatever was available to them, which was try and get publicity, try and get interested people, groups, organisations to understand the huge impact of these roadworks.
0: And they're building the road from where to where?
1: Well, actually they're trying to duplicate the highway all the way from Melbourne along the Western Highway to the South Australian border in stages. The problem with the area they're working on now is that, as you say, it has extremely high conservation significance. Um, There are trees that have been here since well before white settlement in Australia. Some trees are estimated to be up to 800 years old. And um, just to illustrate that, we know that nearly all of Melbourne was um, in grief after the separation tree was vandalised in Melbourne, in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. And that was 400 years old. So we have many hundreds of trees that age and older that have just been destroyed for a road duplication. And so that the main works are between Beaufort and Ararat at the moment, and there is as much damage, if not more, planned for between Ararat and Stall.
0: I see. So it's it's not completed yet. They no. have cut the trees down along one part of the road yes. but there is going to be more tree removals along another part of the road.
1: Yes, just as many. And it's, I mean, the numbers are up around a thousand in each section. So that's hugely, it's its hugely significant and it's a, its an enormous uh, loss for all of Victoria, not just the locals.
0: And who has given Vic Rhodes approval to do this? Uh,
1: that was the previous minister of, for planning. That ah, Guy. Yes, Yes. So it was the previous government who... We
0: we know about Matthew Guy down here. <laughs> if you've got a few hours after the program, you and I should talk because we've been fighting with him too. So, yep, okay, so good. keep going. Well, one so, of
1: the... Go on. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: he. so he was the one who gave approval to Vic Rhodes... And there was an environmental impact statement. My understanding is that uh, the estimation of the number of trees and the vegetation generally was hugely, hugely underestimated. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Um, and that may have been an error, that the the very large old scattered trees were not included in the final estimate of trees to be lost. But, I mean, mistakes can happen, but and mind you, this is a serious one, but... Big Roads didn't say at that point oh dear we've got approval for something that is very minor compared with what we want to do well let's just do it anyway now that's my interpretation but certainly my understanding is they did not get any other approval they certainly didn't ask for another EES environmental effects statement so to summarize they're doing something that they don't really have authority to do in cutting down all those extra trees
0: What's the rationale for building the alternative highway? Are they saying it's going to be more, uh, basically allow people to go faster from from one place to another?
1: Yes. And um, the justification for this section between Beaufort and Ararat that we're so concerned about is that it will actually save two whole minutes of travel time, and that's over a distance of oh, roughly about 40 kilometres. Mm. So 900 trees plus... Give or take, we, we still we still don't know the exact numbers, uh, are going to be removed for that two minutes of travel time. Thick roads always talk about road safety, and of course we think that's very important too, but sometimes um, safety can be used as an excuse, and there are other ways of making a road safe, including finding an alternative route mm. that don't involve cutting down some of Victoria's best and oldest vegetation
0: Now, back in March, you and a 91-year-old grandmother engaged in what I guess I would call direct action. What did you do, and why did you do it?
1: Well, it was very hard to get attention. It was hard to get the attention of Vic Rhodes, of the the new ministry, DELP, Department of Environment, Land, Water, and Planning, Um, and... We were hoping to get Minister Ellen, the roads minister, to listen and um, nothing was happening. They were just basically telling us to go away. So we needed a little bit more support from the community and um, having that lock-on did get lots of attention, I think because Isabel McKenzie is 91 and that's the most sweet lady and very well-spoken and had lived in the area most of her life. So she was fantastic for getting the message out that really this is a big issue and something needs to be done, and the protesters are not going to go away.
0: And you locked yourself onto a tree, is that correct?
1: Yes, for about four or five hours.
0: Now, look, I wanted to ask you something. This is not – I saw a picture of, of the, the two of you actually locked on. Yes. Um, you are not the what what I would describe as the typical kind of person that would be locking on – why Why did you do this?
1: Well, because we were desperate. Um, Vic Rhodes was just continuing to cut. They, they didn't care about our protest or our, our concerns. Um, I I, might, I must say, too, that they were keeping very quiet at that time about their known discrepancy of numbers. So they were just probably trying to cut down all the trees before anyone found out about it, I suppose. I mean, that's just a guess, so that may not be true. But um, it's true that we're both older people, but we feel very passionately about it. And, you know, um, I suppose older, um, older age people don't have so many responsibilities. And, you know, so, so what if we get arrested, you know? Um, we're law-abiding citizens normally, but this is, this is our line in the sand.
0: Yes and uh I certainly uh I'm very admiring what you what you did and uh I, I the point the reason I asked that question is because um it's precisely the fact that uh people like you and me as well um we try all kinds of avenues and um just end up in front of a a, a wall that you can't penetrate and yes. uh you you have to do something
1: You do. And Yes, uh, I... yes yeah. go ahead. Go on. I was just saying, um, we're in this position where we can't not protest and make a big fuss about this shocking loss of trees. Not just for the trees in themselves, they're beautiful as everyone would appreciate who knows the separation tree or who knew the separation tree in the garden. But um, people call one, especially red gum trees, they're mostly all red gums, they they call them an apartment block for wildlife. So there are many hundreds of species that live there. And the old trees have a lot of hollows, not just one. Um, So they're shelter and nesting sites for a whole variety of birds and animals.
0: And uh, look, we're in Melbourne and uh, a little bit away from what's going on. How can people listening and people that are concerned help you out or make some kind of an intervention?
1: Well, they can look at our site on Facebook, which is just called WHAM, W-H-A-M. There's also another site we're developing because lots of groups around Victoria who have problems with big roads have been contacting us saying, oh, look, the same thing's happening here. What can we do? So we've set up a website or a blog um, called, uh, if you go to Save Roadside Trees, just Google that. People can look at the site and um, contact us by that if they want to have their particular issue um, added, and people are already doing that We've got quite a lot of groups um, who will where well, we all hope to get together and and provide a stronger overall voice so that we can talk to Vic roads and try and get them to be less destructive when they want to do road work
0: well i I think this is a great initiative, and uh, we at dirt Radio wish you all the best and keep up the good work and uh, We might uh, speak to you again a little bit down the track to see how you 're going so all the yes. best again
1: be more than happy. Thank you very much for
0: talking bye good. and that was Helen Lewis, and she 's the spokesperson for Wham Western H- Highway Alternative Mindset. And as you heard, they've got a Facebook page and also they're setting up uh, another website where they're going to get a whole bunch of communities together, all of whom apparently are having difficulties and problems getting Vic Rhodes to listen to what the community has to say. We'll be right back after these announcements.
1: The Melbourne Street Medics need your help. On Saturday the 18th of July, when we took to the streets against Reclaim Australia, Victoria Police pepper-sprayed the crowd. We treated more than 100 people, and we're asking you to donate to help restock our kits and train up new medics.
2: We believe in empowering people to fight for a better world. Please help us to care for those who stand
1: up for our rights. Please go to OzCrowd.com and search for Melbourne Street Medics or go to the Melbourne Street Medics Facebook page for more information on how to donate.
0: And uh, you are with Dirt Radio this morning. We're going to 11 o'clock, and uh, this is Friends of the Earth, uh, a program that comes to you every week at this time between 10.30 and 11. An article appeared in Green Left Weekly two weeks ago. The headline was, No Such Thing as Cheap Fossil Fuels. I thought it would be useful to find out why, so I asked Zane Alcorn to walk us through some of the issues. He's a community activist, and among other things, he's been a campaigner with the Coal Terminal Action Station, an alliance of communities in New South Wales formed to stop the building of the 4th Coal Terminal Station in Newcastle. And to start our telephone conversation, I asked Zane to explain why Abbott, The Abbott government's favorite mantra about energy production, fossil fuels are cheap, renewables are expensive, is a sham claim.
2: So there's several reasons. So probably the first thing that I would point out is if you've got an old Ford Falcon or something with a big 4.8 litre engine and you've got a, a new or a recent model second-hand Toyota Prius or something, it is cheaper for you to keep filling up that old rust bucket with a huge engine than it is for you to buy that new car. But if you were to compare the cost of a new efficient like you know, electric car to the cost of a new Commodore, the electric car is cheaper. So with renewables... New build, uh, wind and solar, are actually cheaper than new build, coal and gas. So that's if we compare the, the, the kind of capital cost of building something new. But then there's this idea that, that, and the article goes into this, there's this idea that coal is a wonderful, cheap, dirt-cheap thing that you just dig up and shovel into power stations, and you get super cheap electricity. There's a whole bunch of stuff that that doesn't take into account, like subsidies, health costs, and, of course, the the climate change costs, which are going to be massive in in decades
0: to come. And I was going to ask you about the uh, subsidies. Give us a little bit of an idea of what these subsidies are used for.
2: Um, So some of the things that the subsidies get used for is, things like diesel fuel rebates, infrastructure funding, and like royalties discounts or tax cuts. Diesel fuel rebates is actually a big one because we're not talking about putting a little bit of diesel in your uh, work car or something. Those massive trucks, the iconic big Tonka trucks that are in all of those coal mines, they are really big machines. They carry upwards of like 100 tons of, of coal or dirt or spoil in the back they burn through ridiculous amounts of diesel every day and there's a lot of those trucks running 24 hours a day and uh so those that's something like a diesel uh, rebate we're actually talking about a heck of a lot of money mm. every year
0: and there's also subsidies for infrastructure building as well
2: yeah like the campbell newman government before they got booted out of office famously offered to just build like a Massive, you know, hundreds of kilometres long train line to this coal mine that that Adani <laughs> has been trying to maybe mm. think about building, but the economics of which really don't stack up.
0: In that article, it was talking about the amounts of money uh, that were being given in in subsidies. Off the top of your head, do you, do you have those figures with you, or can we just say they're 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 staggeringly large?
2: Yeah. So the um. The Australian Conservation Foundation in, uh, did a budget submission in May last year, and they estimated that the federal government uh, passes about $13 billion in subsidies to the fossil fuel and mining industries each year. Uh, globally, uh, the IMF, they released a report in May saying how large are global energy subsidies. They estimate the cost of subsidising the fossil fuel industry globally is about trillion a year, or about $10 million per minute, which amounts to Hmm. more than 6% of global GDP. So this is a very entrenched industry that attracts a heck of a lot of subsidies from governments around the world in rich and poor countries.
0: The purpose of this interview, I guess, is to demonstrate that the so-called cheap fossil fuels are, in fact, massively, massively expensive. As you mentioned earlier, there's a question of climate change, and just run through that a little bit for us.
2: Yeah, so I, I forget who it was. I think it was a university in the US. Uh, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, they put out a report estimating the costs of climate change from things like crop failure and severe weather events. It's likely to be between $60 trillion and $200 trillion between now and the end of the century. So the climate change costs can hardly be uh, underestimated like we're talking about a complete breakdown of global food production and water availability massive refugee crises and and then there's also the, the health impacts of the mining and burning of coal uh, which uh, they don't appear on any balance sheet either
0: the i think the moral fire down in uh, the latrobe valley last year, I think, demonstrated uh, some of that, and uh, they're still uh, unsure about the health costs of that kind of thing as well.
2: Yeah, and that fire was sort of like a a localized, highly concentrated uh, example of what coal-burning power stations are doing 24-7
0: Again, yeah, a hidden cost. And uh, the other thing that this article—and I, I know you've you've thought about this and written about it yourself—is the global trade in coal is actually in decline. The price of coal is going down, yet there are these subsidies being given to the coal industry. What's going on here?
2: So, uh, if we turn the clock back three or four years, uh, there's. Was- massive uh, economic growth in China. The Chinese economy these days is on somewhat shakier ground and there's also a lot more pollution in China now than there was three or four years ago which means as much as there's a bureaucratic regime in, in China they are nonetheless still susceptible to, to public pressure over the, the massive pollution that you have in big Chinese cities. So three or four years ago the uh, the coal companies uh, could see nothing but dollar signs in their eyes. They thought, oh, great, China, India, they're just going to build an infinite number of new coal-fired power stations. That's going to create more demand for coal, and that's going to keep pushing the price of coal up. So we can go ahead and build heaps of new coal mines, we can borrow heaps of money and build all these new coal mines, and that's all right because everyone's always going to want more and more coal. However... As the years went on, there was these social pressures to do with the pollution in big cities, and there's also the fact that as time goes on, solar panels and wind turbines just keep getting cheaper and cheaper. Mm. We know that China, they're not just good at building coal-fired power stations, they're good at building everything, and they're good at mass-producing solar panels and wind turbines, which makes those things ever cheaper to build. So over the last five years, we've seen the beginning of what is truly a a new industrial revolution. Renewable energy is becoming cheaper than coal, and the scales are tipping, and now we're entering this exciting period of a structural decline of of coal as less and less people want it, more and more people are building renewables, and the demand for coal is just going to keep shrinking and shrinking.
0: There seems to be a growing Uh, particularly over the last few years, a growing community backlash against the coal industry. And people are saying, if I've got money in a bank or if I've got money in a super fund, I don't want that money going into the coal industry. And uh, very recently, in just the last few days, in fact, the uh, Commonwealth Bank has announced that it's pulling out of the Adani, you mentioned earlier, the Adani Carmichael mine, do you think this uh, divestment uh, movement is, is actually having a serious financial impact?
2: I think it's definitely having an effect. And uh, whilst divestment is not a, a silver bullet to um, take down the coal industry, it's certainly part of the armory. And it's it's interesting because there's a sort of um, a, a coalescence or, or a coinciding of Social pressure to do with climate change and the health impacts of coal is intersecting with the economics whereby there's the, the rise of renewables is displacing coal. Coal is entering this period of structural decline. And investing new money in, in coal or keeping your money invested in coal is like in the 1940s or something, keeping your money invested in Coal-fired railways, like Mm. people were moving to diesel and electric trains. Coal-fired trains were becoming a thing of the past. So there's this interesting interaction between the pure economics of it. Coal is increasingly becoming a bad investment. And that's interacting with the social pressure of more and more people saying, I don't want my money to fund the destruction of my kids and my grandkids' Mm. future on this planet.
0: That's a really nice way of explaining it and summarizing it. I just wanted to finally ask you a question. The listeners, can they think about, and more to the point, can they do anything to promote and assist the demise of coal, particularly in Australia?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going back a few years, we had a really active and vibrant grassroots climate movement and it kind of, it, it petered out a little bit. It did go in different directions. Some people who were campaigning around climate change and, and for renewable energy ended up getting more involved in campaigns to halt the expansion of, of the coal industry, to stop new mines and new coal-fired power stations and coal seam gas developments being built. I think the best thing that people can do is look around for a local grassroots uh, climate action uh, group, you know, there's different grassroots organisations campaigning around this. What we really need is people to actively seek out your local group, and if there's not one there, start it up and start having film nights and discussion nights and protests at your local members' office, and we need to really reinvigorate the climate movement and get back to where we were a few years ago when You'd have 30,000 people marching through the middle of Melbourne, um, saying, "Get rid of the coal industry. Let's rapidly move to 100% renewable energy." If we could have, you know, 100, 200,000 people in Melbourne and, and in Sydney, that's really going to uh, force this
0: issue to a head. Well, maybe, maybe with Paris coming up in November, this may well happen. Let's see. And that was Shane Alcorn. He's a community activist and anti-coal campaigner, and he was talking to me last week about a recently published article in Green Left Weekly called No Such Thing as Cheap Fossil Fuels. The article is available online and worth a read, particularly worthwhile in the light of the Abbott government's paltry contribution to emission reduction targets. And Abbott's actually saying that those targets were set so as not to have any impact on the coal industry. Let me give you his quote. In fact, the only way to protect the coal industry is to go with the sorts of policies that we have. Now, I don't think uh, Mr. Abbott's realizing that if there is no environment, there is no economy. We are Dirt Radio, and I'm John. We'll be back next week, same time.